So we're going to jump into the text today as always, but before we do, let's pray. And I would be remiss if I just didn't acknowledge just the things going on in our community this week. And we want to pray specifically for the families that have lost loved ones, because whenever tragedy happens, um, you know, they say it depends upon the proximity of how close it is to you, how you're affected by it. But when it happens in our own communities, obviously uh, it hits home in kind of unique ways. And so we want to pray specifically for people in our community that have lost loved ones and then pray for, uh, like we've mentioned, all of our law enforcement and first responders that are handling that and for justice to be done. So let's pray and then we'll get into the message, all right? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for um, the fact that we know, um, as we're gonna talk about today, that you see us and that you know of, of things going on in our lives. And we do wanna stop at this moment and recognize, God, just the senseless tragedy that has happened in our community this week. And uh, we pray for those that have lost loved ones. And um, I, you know, I can't imagine the new reality that they have got to live with. And I pray, God, that you would help them to grieve well. And if there's any specific ways that we can help uh, as a church, God, I pray that you would let us know those, whether it's just individual people in our church caring for those families or us corporately. We do pray also for our law enforcement, God, that is, has the, the burden of wading through all those things and making sure that justice is done. So God, I pray that you give them grace as well in this season, because I can't imagine just the, the trauma of dealing with all of that as well. And so God, I pray for them. And now, God, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us. God, we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. That is why we gather together, whether it is online or in person, God, to worship you. And that's singing and giving, and that is listening and receiving your word. And I pray now, God, you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you got a Bible, open it up to John chapter one. We're actually going to close out chapter one today, uh, not close out the gospel of John. That's going to be a while. We're going to close out chapter one today. And we've got quite a few verses, a little bit more verses than we've done uh, in the last several weeks. But the reason is because these kind of all go together with one common theme. This is the gospel of John's account of Jesus' first really initiating his ministry and inviting people in to follow him. And so this is him talking about the disciples. And you get Jesus calling his disciples in all four gospel accounts, and each one of them are a little bit different. And, and John's doesn't go into much detail as some of the other ones do, but John just kind of gives us an overview of what Jesus was about and who Jesus was in these first disciples that he is calling. So we're going to be in verse 35 all the way down to verse 51. All right, so let's start with verse 35. It says this, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And again, this is John the witness. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. Now we're going to do that again, just like we did last week. All right. I'm not gonna read that whole sentence. I'm just going to say, and said, and then let's say the word behold together. All right. One, two, three, and said, behold, that's good. Especially if you're online or watching in Jasper, let's do that again. And said, Behold, the Lamb of God. John's like a broken record, isn't he? I mean, this is now the second time on a different day that John says the same thing again. So John is one of those people that know he is not going to be quiet when he's talking about Jesus. He's saying it to us again. And when I was first kind of breaking down these messages, I thought about putting this one into last week's message because that was the title. If you weren't here, 
behold, the Lamb of God. But I, it kind of breaks up this way in your Bible because this is the section where, again, these disciples start following Jesus. But I thought it was good to break it up because it's two different days and it's two different instances, but yet John's saying the same thing. There's one thing that you can say about John. He's consistent no matter what day it is, right? And that's really the goal, isn't it? That's what we talked about last year if you were here, having integrity, being the same, not being duplicitous, which I'll refer back to that later in the message. But John's the same, and I think it's important for us to see this. Two different days, says the same thing. Behold, the Lamb of God. He ain't coming off of it. So much so, look at what happens next. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Let's stop and chat there for a second. First, we see that John's beholding, John's integrity of a person saying the same thing every day has an effect. Because you see two disciples now that start following Jesus because John won't hush up about him. And this is what we were talking about last week when we said, you know, at the end of the day, it said John saw Jesus, he had seen him, and he had witnessed about him. And so we said last week, our, our purpose, God made us for the purpose of sharing Jesus to a group of people. And, and, and I just want to highlight here is if you will have integrity and keep doing that every day, some people will start following Jesus. But here's one thing I can guarantee you. If you never do it, no one will. It's not that everyone will when you do it, but if you don't do it, no one will. But the promise is if you do it, some of them will. And we see those two, and these two are going to be highly important. I'll reference that in just a second as well as we learn who these two are and the significance of these two. But first it just says, here's John, behold, these two follow Jesus. Then what's really interesting is Jesus notices that. And he turns and he asks them a question. And he says, what are you seeking? Now, I almost titled the message that, what are you seeking? But the message title is, follow me, because that's the command. That's the goal of today's message. But I love Jesus' question here. In fact, Jesus was a master teacher, the greatest teacher that has ever lived. And if you study the life of Jesus, he almost asks, in fact, people have done this and they found out he actually did. He actually asks more questions than he does give answers. So often people would ask Jesus a question and then he would respond to them with a question. So asking a question is a great teaching device which is why I try to ask you questions all the time. You know, what are you seeking? Or, or how is the witness going? And we'll ask more questions like that today. But I love Jesus's question. What are you seeking? See, Jesus wanted to make sure that those two followers were following him for the right reasons. Another way of what Jesus is getting at, because this word here, seek, means to desire. Jesus turns to them and says, what do you want? What do you want? Uh, uh, another way to get at that is Jesus is saying is, why are you going to follow me? Are you following me because you want me? 
Or are you following me because you just want what I can do for you? What do you want? What are you seeking? Which again is a great question. What do you want from Jesus? What are you seeking? Why are you following Jesus? I mean, hopefully someone in your lifetime has told you, behold, look at Jesus, and you looked at him, right? And you trusted him, and you got saved, and now hopefully you're following him. And I think Jesus is still asking the same question. What are you seeking in following me? What do you want? Now their answer is telling. Their answer, they said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, they asked Jesus a question too, where are you staying? But don't think about, man, that's a weird thing to say back to Jesus is like, what do you want? And they're like, I just want to know where you're staying. Right? That's kind of how it feels on the surface. But the reason why it may feel to us like that on the surface is because we are Westerners. They are Easterners or Middle Eastern. And the, the point is not so much the question of them asking, where are you staying? It's the statement that they said, Rabbi. That was the main answer to the question. What are you seeking? What do you want? And their answer is, we want a rabbi. We want a teacher. And so I want to know where you're staying because, see, back then they didn't have college and university systems the way we had them. You had teachers. You had rabbis. And they didn't have cars. And those rabbis would walk around and you would literally follow them as they were teaching and you would be taught or disciple. That's what the word follow means by that person. So in essence, what these two disciples say is an answer to the question, what are they seeking? They're saying, we're seeking you as our teacher. We're seeking you as our rabbi. We are seeking you as the one that we want to model our lives after. And, and this is why I'm highlighting this, because there's a lot of people today who want Jesus as their get-out-of-hell-free card with no intention of actually following him. They don't want to actually have him as their teacher, have him as their rabbi, have him as their main source of authority and instruction in your life. Now you would say, well, what Jesus saying here in physical form, how do I get that? Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians that Jesus gave pastors, apostles, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the way it works now is we follow Jesus by sitting underneath the teachers or the apostles or the pastors that he placed. And so the idea now is, yes, Jesus isn't here physically walking around, but his representatives are his pastors, his apostles, his teachers, and now, if we want to follow Jesus, then we're going to submit our lives to the authority of the preached word of God through the local church and the pastors that pastor them. That's how, or that's what, we should want. Now, here's why I'm pointing this out. We live in a day and age 
where it has become easier than ever before to have a lot of teachers and no rabbis. A lot of teaching. You're getting teaching because we have the advent of the internet. Thank you, Al Gore, right? Which he didn't create it. I don't know where that came from. But, but we have a lot of teachers, a lot of people telling us stuff, but we don't really have fathers and mothers in the faith. People who have spiritual authority in our lives to correct like Jesus did with his disciples. Let me give you a reference verse. I don't have it here on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. You can write it down. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. This is the apostle Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So Paul's writing these letters because the Corinthian church can't get their act together. And so he says, listen, I'm writing this to you not to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, to build you up. And then listen to what he says, verse 15. For you have countless guides in Christ. The literal translation there is you have tens of thousands of teachers. You do not have many fathers. Let me say it again. For you have countless guides in Christ. Tens of thousands of teachers. You got internets and podcasts. Paul didn't even know that that was a thing, right? Oh, how the Bible is so relevant. But you don't have many fathers. Then he says this, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. See, that is the kind of relationship that Jesus was after with his disciples. And so when Jesus turns and asks these two disciples that leave John to come follow him, and he asks them, what are you seeking? What do you want? What they're saying is, that's what we want. We want a father. We want a teacher. We want someone who has spiritual authority, and we've heard you now, and if John says you're the son of God, then what better person can we follow? And that's why they asked, where are you staying? Because in essence, what they're saying is where you're staying, we're staying now. Where you're staying, we're staying. Where you go, I'm going. What you do, I'm doing. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. See, that's the nature of the relationship. And Jesus goes on. He said to them, verse 39, come and you will see. Now, the word there, come, is written as a command. So Jesus just commanded them, come, follow me, and you'll see where I'm saying. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, where it was about the 10th hour. See, when we come to Jesus, we're not coming to someone who just changes our eternity. We are coming to someone who changes our present by changing our behaviors of where we go and what we do. That's discipleship. But in today's world, that has fallen off the map because you can just stay home and watch all your favorite teachers. Now, for all of you that are still watching online and you're still part of our church, I'm not talking about you. 
But what I'm getting at is if you're not careful, COVID will just accelerate your disobedience. It'll just celebrate or accelerate and celebrate your lack of coming and following Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that can only be accomplished in a physical location, obviously. But what I'm getting at is this. If you just have a bunch of teachers, well, you can dismiss what they're saying because they don't see how you live. They're not up close and personal with you. You're just living off their principles. You're just living off their gifts, but you're not living under the assumption that you're going to go where they go. You're going to stay where they say that they have the ability to command you. They have the ability to say to you, we don't do that here. We don't live like that. And how Jesus does that now is through his under shepherds called pastors, the local church. That's the point. So let me give you a principle here. In fact, I'm going to say it two different ways. If you've been around, I've said this before, but it's the principle that I see coming out of this text right here. Here's number one. If you want to write this down, we don't get what we want by doing what we want. We don't get what we want by doing what we want. Where, where did I get that in this text? Let me show you. Jesus asked him, what do you want? What do you want? They, and they, in essence, said, we want a rabbi. We want a teacher. And so Jesus says, okay, great. Come follow me. Come and see it. See, what they wanted was going to require them to give over now the decision-making of doing whatever they wanted. They were only going to get what they want by doing what they need to do to get what they want, which is the second part of this principle. You might want to write it down as well. We get what we want by doing what we need to do to get what we want. Again, let me relate it in the context of discipleship. If you want to be like Jesus, that's what you want. You're going to get that by doing whatever you want. Well, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. I don't want to do those things. Well, you're not going to get what you want then. You're going to get what you want by doing what you need to do, which what is what you need to do in this context? Make a move. Follow Jesus. Change behaviors. And if you'll do what you need to do, then you'll get what you want. Let me, let me put it in another context that would make perfect sense to you. You want to lose weight. That's what I want. Well, you're not going to lose weight by eating what you want, right? You're going to lose weight by doing what you need to do, which we know losing weight, 80% diet, 20% working out, right? That's what I need to do. Here's the clincher. What you need to do, almost always, you're not going to want to do. Almost always, you're not going to want to do. I don't want to work out. I don't want to eat vegetables. I want to eat donuts. Great. If that's what you want to do, then you're not going to get what you want. See, Jesus is saying this principle to them, and the principle still holds true. You want to be like Jesus? You want to be holy? You want to be a good person? 
You want to have power in your life? You want to see miracles in your life? You want to see God do amazing things? You're not going to get that by doing what you want. You're going to get that by doing what you need to do. Which, what is it that you need to do? You need to submit your life over to the authority of another that you are now imitating, that you are now following. That's why Jesus commanded them. So here's what I basically am saying to you. If you're the one making the commands, you're not going to get what you want. This is why when you make bad decisions in your life, this always amazes me, particularly with pastors. It amazes me when someone makes horrible decisions and then within a month later, they're like, I'm good. I'm ready to come back. I've seen this with pastors, moral failures. Six months later, they're like, I'm good. I'm ready to come back. Says who? Says you? Last time I checked, we probably shouldn't trust your judgment. Because the same thinking that got you into that mess is not the same thing that's going to get you out of that mess. Here's a better solution. Why don't you turn over that decision to someone else who didn't make the dumb decision? This is when you submit your life to someone else and say, you know what? I don't know whether or not I'm ready or not. I need you to tell me that. I need a pastor or a counselor or a trusted wise friend to tell me that. Because my faulty thinking is the one that got me into this mess. But see, you don't want to do that, do you? But that's what you need to do. So here's what I'm saying to you. You will grow. You will follow Jesus to the degree of you doing what you need to do. And then you'll get what you want. Now let's move on. Look at verse 40. One of the two brothers who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Now this is the significance I was saying earlier. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now this is, I want to highlight this because this is an example of now John the witness's influence rubbing off on Andrew. See, Andrew is now following Jesus because John the witness told him, look at Jesus. So Andrew sees Jesus and then he starts following Jesus. And then he says, now Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my rabbi. I'm going where he goes. And what's the first thing that Jesus commissions him to do? Go tell somebody. Go do, go witness, just like John did with you. And who does Andrew go to first? His brother, his own brother. So this is what I was saying to you last week. Every person's purpose is to share Christ with a group of people. And almost always, that's going to start first with your family. So Andrew goes right around and gets Peter. Now, if you know anything about church history, Peter, he wasn't the first pope. However, he was one of the first leaders in the church of God. So don't miss this. It goes from John to Andrew to Peter to thousands. All because John was faithful to witness. All because Andrew was faithful to witness. And all because when Peter shows up, Jesus says, I'm changing your nature. Remember, if you were back here and welcome to the wrestle, names indicate nature. See, Jesus, uh, Peter's name was Simon. It means hearer or listener. 
So here's what Jesus just said to him. You're going to go from a listener to a leader. You're going to go from a listener. You're going to hear to speaking. You're going to be a rock, Peter. So his name indicates his nature. Let me say it to you like this. You keep witnessing because you never know who the next one will be. You never know what Peters are in your midst. What Simon, I should say Simons, really, or Simone. You know how cool he was, right? I was talking to my sister just a few weeks ago, and she was telling me one of my favorite people on the face of the planet had passed away. Nobody you know, Miss Arlene Huckleby. Who was Miss Arlene Huckleby? She was my very first Sunday school teacher. Now, I didn't grow up in church. I got saved when Brother Charles, you know, back in the Baptist days, what we call him Brother Charles. I always know when someone calls me brother, I'm like, Baptist, right? It's fine. Brother Charles shared a message about the love of Christ. I trusted Christ, and then they stuck me in the Sunday school room. I'm like, what the heck is Sunday school? And Miss Arlene Huckleby and Bill Huckleby, two people who invested, I mean, it makes me emotional just thinking about it, invested in me as a 13-year-old kid who didn't know anything about Jesus. Flannel graphs and all. And then you wanna know what's crazy? The very first church that I went on full-time staff at, the lead pastor's assistant, secretary, you wanna know who it was? Miss Arlene Huckleby. God just has a sense of humor like that. My Sunday school teacher is now the secretary to my pastor. She had profound impact on my life. And you don't know who she is, but she is now in heaven being rewarded for that investment into a 13-year-old. See, you never know. You never know who is in your midst and who you're bringing to Jesus what will happen. But it says, Andrew brought him to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to change your nature. You're going to be a leader in the church, Peter. We'll get into him more later on, but you just, I just wanted you to see that connection. Let's go verse 43. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. There's that word again. Follow me. Now that's a command. Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So now we got somebody that's from the same city, not the same family. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. Are you seeing a theme here? John finds Andrew. Andrew finds Peter. Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathanael. Talk about multiplication. That's the point. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, now listen to this. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, if you've ever been around church, you've probably heard this before. Verse 36, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Which again is written as a command. Come follow him and see if anything good can come. Now, if you don't know anything about Nazareth, once I went to Israel, when Lindsay and I went a couple years ago, it started to make sense to me because it's north of Jerusalem, and it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and it's kind of up in this 
hill. It's, it's almost just kind of imagined this kind of big volcano, and then like the top is cut off, and then in that is a city that you can't see. I mean, it is out in the middle of nowhere. Even to this day, you kind of drive up there and like, where are we going? Oh, there's a city. And it's pretty much not a great city, even now. And this is one of those that it's like, great people don't come out of Nazareth. It'd be like us, I mean, literally about the same amount of, of mileage from, from Jerusalem to Nazareth, from Atlanta to Hawassee. Like, can anything good come out of Hawassee? If you're going to be a leader, you're going to go to the, to the city center. I mean, you, you come out of Buckhead. You don't come out of Hiawassee. I just chose Hiawassee because I wanted to say it a lot. Now, I love Hiawassee. If you watch from Hiawassee, I, I ain't ragging on you. I love Brasstown Ball. I love it all. All right. But I'm just saying kind of geographically speaking to kind of get your mind there. You're like, man, that, that, and just imagine not in today's technological world, but 2,000 years ago, and you're like, well, that's way up there. Who, who comes from there? Can anything good come from there? Well, apparently, places that are not significant to anybody else are significant to God. Apparently, people that would seem so insignificant to you are not insignificant to God. So this is why I love that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. I mean, he had all the right biblical credentials, but he didn't have all the social credentials. He, he didn't come from all the right places, knowing all the right people. But yet, why you, do you and I spend so much time trying to do those things? Let me show you what I mean. Let me go further here. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, this is Jesus talking, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, no duplicity. This is Jesus talking about Nathaniel now. Here comes a man of integrity. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? You're, you're from Nazareth. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. Can I just tell you something tonight, church? Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. You may think that you come from the most insignificant place. You're serving in the most insignificant role. You have the most insignificant job. And you may feel like everybody in your life thinks that you're insignificant. But I want to tell you something. Jesus sees you. Because Jesus doesn't see through the eyes of the world. Jesus isn't necessarily looking from, looking for all the right people with all the right connections. Why? Because then they'll be confused as to why they got there. But Paul says, Jesus loves to take the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, which is why I laugh that I'm a pastor. He loves to take the fools. He's been speaking through donkeys in the Old Testament, and he still does it now. Jesus loves. This is why I, I don't joke, but I'm serious when I say when I, when I was a kid and I couldn't speak because I couldn't hear and had to have ear surgeries and learn how to speak, and now I speak. 
So if you keep looking at yourself in the mirror and all you are doing is downing what you see, then you are downing what Jesus can do with you. Because it ain't about what you see, it's about what he sees. And he sees you. Not who you wished you were, not who you wished, what you wished you were, or what you wished you had. He sees you. Now let's wrap this up, verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi. Notice the significance there of what I told you earlier. Rabbi, teacher, the one I'm gonna follow now, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Now, I don't think Jesus is ragging on Nathanael here because of what he's about to say next. But Jesus is saying, man, if you believe just on that, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. This is why I think the Bible says the faith of a mustard seed. So I honestly don't think Jesus is knocking here, knocking him here. He's saying, man, yeah, you are a man of integrity. You are a man of no duplicity. You are a person of, of no deceit because that's all it took to get you to believe. And then Jesus says this, look at this. I love this. You could almost title the entire book of John this next phrase. You will see greater things than these. Jesus is like, I got you with the fig tree. You're going to see greater things than fig trees. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God. Now, notice the direction here. Ascending. And descending. Don't you think it would make logical sense to say descending first? Like, as I was reading this, I was like, Jesus, didn't you mean to say you will see the angels descending, like coming from heaven and then ascending? But I think Jesus is, I don't know this, this is my conjecture. I think Jesus is saying, listen, angels are where God is and I'm God. This is why when Peter pulls out the sword and cuts off, you know, it's that point in time, Jesus is like, hey, rock, you might want to listen. Hey, Rocky. He says, don't you think that if I wanted to, I could call down legions, which is thousands? He's like, man. But I just think Jesus is highlighting here to Nicodemus, not Nicodemus, we'll get into him in chapter three. All right, Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things. You're going to see heaven open up. And you're going to see supernatural things that you never even dreamed could happen. Now, I think John, the apostle John, who's writing this, puts this. Now, remember, the chapters and verses weren't there when John wrote this. But I think he put it there. And then I think the scribes who translated this later intentionally put that as the end of chapter one because... Chapter 2 through chapter 12 of John, which we're going to go to next, is the section of the book that is all about Jesus' public ministry where he does miracles. 
So we're gonna get into this next week in chapter two. He does his very first miracle of turning water to wine. And this is why I think John the apostle highlights it right here and then spends the next 10 chapters saying, here are the greater things. These are the greater things that I just told Nathaniel that you're gonna see. You thought that I saw you at the fig tree was awesome? Watch me turn water into wine. You thought that was awesome? Watch the spirit wake people from the dead. You thought that was awesome? You just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. You just hold on. And this is why I want to end with this here. If you'll make a decision to follow Jesus today, you will see these greater things. You will see these greater things. Why? Because you're not just following some teacher. You're not just following some nice guy. You're not just following a dude who liked children and petted lambs. You're following the son of God, the king of Israel, the line of Judah, the ancient one, the first and the last. I mean, I'm just getting chills thinking about these things that I'm trying to say. The alpha and the omega. You're following God in the flesh. And he's going to do greater things than these. So as we talk about these greater things over the, the next however many months from chapter 2 to chapter 12, I just want you to be reminded that is who you are following. And here's why I'm stressing it. Because you may not see him every day. In fact, you may be sitting alone underneath a fig tree saying, God, where are you? And you got to believe that he sees you and that greater things are coming. Because even though you can't see them, if you believe they're coming, then you'll keep following. Because you don't get what you want by doing what you want. You get what you want by doing what you need to do. And what do you need to do? Follow Jesus. Be a part of a local church where the, and it doesn't even have to be revolution. Don't hear me like, yeah, you would say that because you're the pastor. You're trying to tell us what to do. It don't have to be revolution church. If you don't like it here, that's fine. Go somewhere and submit your life there to the authority, to the teaching of the word of God. Someone who has integrity, and this is the call on my life, that that person could say, follow me as I follow Jesus like Paul did. So if you don't feel like I'm worth following, that's fine. Follow somebody. Don't have 10,000 teachers and no father. Don't listen to a bunch of podcasts and don't interact with the person. Follow and you'll see greater things. Than these, you'll see heaven open. You'll see heaven open in your own life. And you'll see the power of God ascending and descending in your life. I believe it because I've seen it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace in our life. By sending Jesus, like we've talked about, who is the word. 
And then after the word, sending witnesses like John, like Andrew, like Peter, like Philip, like Nathaniel, like Miss Huckabee. Because it is one long string of succession that goes all the way back to you. Those who witnessed to us, it's because somebody else witnessed to them, who witnessed to them, who witnessed to them, who goes all the way back to John. So God, help us to follow you and, and multiply that same grace that found us into others. Help us to submit our lives to you, to do what we need to do, like follow you, like be a part of a church, like submit our lives to the authority of others so that we can get what we want, which is to be like you. But God, I know there's people here today who don't know you, who have never first trusted you and followed you. So I pray right now you would save them. Anybody looking around or talking here as we close, as always, if you've never trusted Jesus, then the invitation today is follow him. I think Jesus would say to you, if he was here, follow me. And you'll see greater things. You'll see heaven open. Because Jesus is the only one with the key to open it. Jesus is the only one with the power, with the relationship with the Father. So today, if you'll trust Jesus, heaven will open to you. The love of God and the grace that Jesus purchased through the power of the Spirit will come to you. So if that's you and you want to trust Jesus, then right there where you are, you can pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father... Thank you for loving me, that you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me, and help me to follow Jesus. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you just prayed to trust Jesus for the first time, then we want to know about that. And so if you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. And whether you're in one of our physical locations or gathering with us online, in a moment, you'll have an opportunity to fill out a digital connection card so that we can follow up with you. But then those of us who have trusted Jesus, let's make sure that we're actually following Jesus, that we actually see him as our rabbi, we actually see him as the one who gets to determine where we go and what we do. And if he has put pastors or leaders in your life who have been trying to help you follow Jesus better, don't resist them as though they don't have the authority to say anything to you. Because if you continue to do that, you will never grow. Same is true whether you're a child, and that's why God gave you parents to help you grow. God gave you pastors to help you grow. So be willing to submit your life to the authority of the word of God and those that he puts 
in your life to preach and teach you the word of God and say, I'll, where are you going? I'll go. I'll listen. I'll learn. You're my teacher. Father, help us to live like that. Help us to be that kind of witness because we never know. We never know who's in the midst and what you're going to do through our simple obedience into their lives and the thousands of lives that they could potentially touch. And that's what we want to see. We want to see this multiplication happen. So make it happen in Jesus name. Amen.